My name is Greg Pertle. I'm the family minister here at Greenville Oaks, and our lead minister, Colin Packer, is out of town with his family this weekend. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning as we begin. God, I pray that the message this morning is one from you and not just from me. I pray that it will be received in the loving manner that, uh, that I desire for it to be received this morning. I pray that you would speak to each one of us the words that we need to hear, to be encouraged, to be challenged to be reminded of who we are because of Jesus and because of the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a little boy, Star Wars was a big deal. I think I mentioned that in my last sermon that I preached. But the actual original Star Wars had just come out, and you know it stayed in theaters like two or three years. And so one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to go see Star Wars, the movie. And I remember my grandma... When I was probably three, four years old, somewhere in there, I don't have a great memory of it, but there are a couple of things I remember. I remember telling my grandma I wanted to go see Star Wars, and I remember her promising me that she would take me to see it. And I started collecting the action figures, and I got really into Star Wars, and the day came, finally, where my grandma's going to take myself and some of my cousins to see Star Wars. And I can remember walking through the hall into that theater, and going and sitting down, and the excitement of finally getting to see Star Wars, finally getting to see this movie that my grandma had promised she would take me to see. And as soon as the movie starts, and the music starts playing, and the words come up, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, and the ships start thundering through, I freak out in the theater. And I get scared, and I cover my ears, and I put my head down, and I say, Grandma, I don't want to see this anymore. And she tries to talk me into it, and she makes me stay in there for a little while, and finally, I just can't take it. And my grandma takes me out of the theater, and we spend the entire movie waiting in the lobby while my cousins watch Star Wars. Now, who goes to see Star Wars and then freaks out and leaves other than me? It was something I had been promised. It was something I had looked forward to. But when I got there, I didn't want to accept it. It reminds me of a story that we read in Scripture where God's people had been promised something for a long, long, long time. And when they finally got there, they didn't want to go in. We're going to read this morning from Numbers chapter 13 and 14. We're going to see this turning point that God's people faced. We're going to begin in uh, verse 26. And remember where we, well, where we are in the story right now. So remember, God's people had been slaves in Egypt for a long time. And they had been hearing about this promised land. They had been told over and over and over, one day you're going to the promised land. One day you will be where God has promised us. But they're slaves, and they can hardly imagine this. And finally, the time comes where God delivers them through the plagues out of the hands of Pharaoh. And they get to the Red Sea. And what happens? They start to gripe and complain. Ah, you just brought us out here to die. And then, of course, God parts the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry land, and they have this amazing experience that God has just provided for them. Another testament to God's fulfilling of his promises. And then they wander in the desert for a little while as they're heading 
toward this promised land that they've heard of, that they've dreamed of. And they start to say, I'm thirsty, we're thirsty. Why did you bring us out here to die, Moses? And God gives them water. Well, water's not enough because they get hungry and they say, we're hungry. Does God, is God even with us? Does he even care about us? And so God provides food. And over and over and over, we have this cycle of God providing, even in the midst of the people's complaining. They forget so quickly. And finally, they come to Kadesh, to this place right on the southern tip of Canaan, of the promised land. They can almost see it from where they are. And they choose 12 spies to go in, one from each tribe. And they're sent in, and they're given one job. Just tell us what it's like. Just tell us what it's like. Go in and give us the report. You don't have to do anything. We don't need strategy. We don't need uh, your plans. We don't need anything other than for you to tell us what it's like. And if you want to, bring us a little fruit back when you come. So that's where we are right now. The 12 spies have just been sent in. Beginning chapter 13, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Man, all this time 
to get to this place, and they send the spies in, and I can almost hear the excitement in people's voices as they wait day after day, those 40 days. I can hear, I can hear the kids saying, you know, Mommy, Mommy, when is Gadi coming back? Or, hey, do you think Egal will be one of the ones carrying the grapes, uh, carrying the fruit back? You don't know those names, right? There's a reason you don't know those names. We know Caleb and Joshua. And they come back, and they give the report. And what's the report? Basically, they say, it's everything we imagine and more. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a description for how great this land is. It is everything God promised us it would be. But eh, the people there are big. They are possibly divine descendants. They might be some sons and grandsons of some gods that these people have. Their cities are strong. And so Caleb stands up and he says, you know what? Let us go in and take possession. There's not even this question to him of whether they will be able to inhabit the land or not because he knows it's already been promised to them. He knows that God has already gone before him, that God is already in the land. And all they have to do is walk in and take it. But that's not what the rest of the people see other than Joshua. The ten spies say we can't do it. And in verse 32, it says they spread a bad report. Another version I saw said an unfavorable report. I don't think that really gets at it, honestly, because a bad report or an unfavorable report would be something like, eh, there are some cracks in the walls of the cities. It's not as good as we thought it was. They let their grass grow too high. It's not mowed quite right. That would be the HOA, right? The HOA would give us a bad report of the land. A better description would be to say that they gave an evil report of the land. What they're doing is they are saying evil things about the promised gift of God. They are telling people, they are using evil terms, they are spreading evil thoughts about what God has provided for these people. In essence, they're saying, yeah, you've always heard it's heaven, but guess what? It's really hell. That's how they're speaking against God's promise. And then, of course, we get to verse 33, the verse that so many of us have heard. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. An argument ensues. The people decide they would rather go back to Egypt than to take and accept the gift that God has been waiting to give them for centuries. They would rather go back and be slaves again than to be free in the country that God has given them. They would rather choose prison over the promise. Of course, we know the next part of the story is that they don't get to go into the land. Joshua and Caleb will eventually see the land, but the rest of them won't. Their children will inhabit it, and I guess you could say it's a lost generation as they wander in the wilderness. And we ask the question, why? After all this time, would they give it up so easily? I would suggest that they don't have a good perspective. You may have heard the story of uh, D-Day. 
World War II, you talk about a turning point. Here's a turning point in this great war. And if you listen to people, a few years ago they interviewed some of the men that were involved in that war. And they interviewed several that were on the ground that day. And if you hear their account of what they were thinking as they were coming off the boats, much like Saving Private Ryan, if you've seen that movie, so hard to watch, but very realistic. All they were thinking is, we're not going to win this. We can't win this. But if you ask the pilots, and they they interviewed some of the pilots as well, as they flew overhead and had this perspective from above, what they were saying is, there's no way we're going to lose this. We've got this. We are going to win. Depending on where you are, it's all a matter of perspective. And for the Israelites, their perspective was off. Their identity was off. You know what? Perspective problems weren't left in the desert of the Middle East thousands of years ago. We have our own today. We accept grasshopper perspectives way too easily. Let's read that again. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. It's interesting to me that their first comment was how they appeared to themselves. I see people do this all the time. I do this all the time. You do this probably more than you want to admit. We have these grasshopper perspectives. Our fear gets in the way of our faith. Our past becomes the voice of our present. We compare ourselves to others instead of learning to be ourselves. We say things like, we're too damaged. Or we say, I'm good. We're proud of the fact that we've gone to church our whole lives. It's a good thing. Or maybe because of the culture we live in of comparison, we just feel like we're not good enough. Which tells us that we're not enough. We've accepted these labels that we wear with pride and with shame, with honor, and with hidden pain. And these labels that we wear, they're good, they're bad. They're prideful and they're shameful, but none of these labels define who we are. Because there's another turning point. A place where our sin and our shame, our hurt and our pride, all of it goes to die. And our identity and our perspective are truly found. It's at the cross. See, God in His great mercy gives us the cross, a demonstration of love, self-sacrificial love. And to fully become the children of God we were born to be, we must shed the identities of the world that we wear, the perspectives of ourself and others that we hold on to, and accept the identity and perspectives of the cross. See, because of the cross, you are enough. We are enough. I am enough. Because of the cross, our past does not define us. Our wounds don't disqualify us. 
Shame only holds the power that we give it. We don't have to be perfect all because of the cross, but we can live to honor God because we are a new creation defined by God's love, His mercy, and it happened at the cross. I think about Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning of verse 16, just verses 16 and 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. It's a new creation, a new perspective of ourselves and of others because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. When our identity becomes the cross, then we lay down our lives for others. So when we have a cross-shaped perspective, we start to see others in that way, and we start to be people who go and change the perspective of others. This week, I met a middle school girl. Middle school is a tough place to be. I just want to remind all of you who haven't been there for a while. Middle school and high school are tough places to be. And so with social media these days, uh, there are a lot of things that happen over social media. It can be used for a lot of great things, but in middle school and high school, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes that gets used to bully other people. Sometimes that gets used to make fun of other people. Sometimes it gets used to cut other people down and to build people's self-esteem up in ways that are unhealthy. And so there's a girl that that I met this week, and she'll remain anonymous because uh, what she's doing is anonymous. But she saw this taking place in her school. She saw the way that people were treating each other and how the negative perspectives of one another were influencing in her school. So she created an Instagram account that's anonymous. And she decided that each day she was going to post something positive about a different student in the school. Well, you can guess that there were a lot of people who were excited about that, but there were a lot of people who weren't. And people started saying things like, oh, well, whoever that person is, they're just doing that because they're fat. Oh, they're just doing that because they're not popular. They're just doing that for whatever reason. But this girl's perspective is so rooted in the cross that she doesn't let that deter her. And a small group of friends, two or three others that now know about this, are working together to make sure that every day there's an Instagram post about someone in their school that is positive, that is encouraging, that is hopeful, and tells them the truth about who they are in a world that's full of lies. I want to be like that girl. I want to have that perspective of myself and others that only comes through the cross of Jesus. Because we get to lay down our lives for others just as Jesus laid down His life for us. It's the giving of oneself to another. We give ourselves to others because of Jesus. So our perspective, the perspective of the cross, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Church, how we see ourselves determines our actions. How we see ourselves individually and how we see ourselves collectively as a church will determine our actions. And what determines the way we see ourselves is our belief about how God sees us. I believe that God loves us. I believe that God is not sitting somewhere distant in heaven looking down on us in anger, waiting to be appeased, or just reminding himself, Jesus died for these people, Jesus died for these people. I don't see that at all. I believe in a God who loves us, who gave himself for us in Jesus Christ, and who gives us the cross to reshape all of our priorities, to reshape all of our identities, to reshape all of our perspectives, so that we can truly see God for who he is, we can truly see others for who they are, and we can truly see ourselves for who we are, as rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. Church, we are not grasshoppers. We are not victims. We are individually and collectively the beloved children of God. We have a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And the title of God's chosen has been extended past the nation of Israel to all who come to him through Jesus. Peter wrote in 1 Peter, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special possession. That we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once, we were not a people. But now we are the people of God. Once, we had not received mercy. But now, we have received mercy. My hope and prayer is that this will be the identity of the Greenville Oaks Church when we're gathered and when we're separate. That our identity, that our perspective will be rooted in the cross of Christ and that it will change and shape and transform the way we see ourselves, the way that we see others, the way that we see and accept the love and the grace of God. And may this be the perspective by which we live and love. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus, whose teaching shapes our perspective. Thank you for so many that have come since who continue to remind us who we are in Christ. And may we be a church that remembers that we are enough. That we are not grasshoppers, but we are people. We are a church. We are yours and we are filled with power. A power of love. A power of self-discipline. A power to encourage. A power to speak truth. A power to be who you create us, us to be. Not in perfection, not being perfectionists, but being loved and saved by the grace and the mercy of you that comes through Jesus Christ. 
Father, give us eyes to see people the way you see them. Give us eyes to see ourselves the way that you see us. Give us eyes to see you for who you truly are. As a loving, generous, gracious, kind, and faithful Father. May we choose to accept the promise rather than go back. May we choose to enter in to Your provision, Your providence, rather than to escape. May we deeply know the love that You have for us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.